episode of the LC uh, Dialogues. My name is Melanie Goesov and I am senior scientist and a member of the LC services and research team. I will be moderating this discussion, which will be recorded and made available online. Uh, today we have a panel of multidisciplinary experts uh, who will be telling us something about the ethical, regulatory and scientific aspects of organoids technology. But first, uh, I want to say a few words about uh, BBMRI ERIC, which is the European research infrastructure for biobanking with the primary mission of promoting biomedical research, benefiting European citizens. It achieves this by providing access to sample and data collections across Europe. And to fulfill its objectives, BBMRI ERIC relies on a network of national nodes with member countries and an interdisciplinary team of experts from various fields, all sharing the common goal of advancing healthcare and disease prevention uh, through facilitated access. Established in uh, 2013, BBMRA ERIC is now a distributed research infrastructure, and it is one of the largest health research infrastructures in Europe. Um, the LC Services and Research um, Department of BBMRI ERIC provides support on ethical, legal, and societal issues through a federated model, collaborating with experts from academia and practice across our national nodes and uh, with project partners. And this support is built on three key pillars, which is research, service, and training. And these pillars work in synergy to ensure that our community receives uh, the uh, state-of-the-art support. Today's webinar is a collaboratory effort between BBMRI ERIC's LC team and the Stakeholder Forum patient pillar of BBMRI ERIC. The Stakeholder Forum is the main interface for European patients, organizations, civil society, industry and academia to interact with the biobanking universe. It is an integral part of BBMRI ERIC's governance and was put in place at the very inception of BBMRI ERIC in 2009. Through the Stakeholder Forum, we are building a sustainable egalitarian relationship between the biobanking community and its stakeholders. The objective is to increase each other's awareness of needs and expectations on key issues related to biobanking, such as data protection, informed consent in health research, health research priorities, and other ethical, legal, and societal issues. And uh, please visit the BBMRI ERIC's website for more information. Now let's begin with our uh, with today's topic, which is organoids and their scientific, ethical, and regulatory aspects. Organoids are advanced three-dimensional cell culture systems designed to replicate essential characteristics of real organs, making them invaluable for preclinical research where they serve as ethical alternatives to animal models. However, this technology presents a spectrum of ethical, legal, and social issues. These encompass questions about the moral status of the type of organoid models, cell sources, informed consent, issues of ownership, 
and the development of regulatory frameworks. Furthermore, the creation of human-animal uh, chimeras through organoid research raises complex ethical questions. Biobanks, which are an integral part uh, of organoids research, are additionally faced with these challenges, along with issues related to donor participation in biobank governance, adding to the complexity of this evolving field. To address these issues, an open and inclusive dialogue among researchers, institutions, policymakers, and society is essential for establishing responsible and ethical guidelines and regulations for the advancement of organoid research. And I'm delighted to host this webinar as a contribution to this ongoing discourse. Our panel comprises experts from various fields who will guide our webinar with insightful discussions about the ethical, regulatory, and scientific dimensions of organoids technologies. And we welcome today Dr. Maria Berdasco Menendez, who is a molecular biologist with over 20 years of experience in the field of clinical epigenetics. Previously, she was the principal a researcher at the Spanish National Cancer Research Center in Madrid and at the Research Institute in Barcelona. She is currently the head of Epigenetic Therapist Research Group at Josep Carreras Leukemia Research Institute. Dr. Sisis Koslakidis is a virologist with a PhD in microbiology from the Empirical College London. Until recently, he served as the president of ISPER, the International Society for Biology biological and environmental repositories. He is currently the head of laboratory services and biobanking at the International Agency for Cancer for Research on Cancer. Dr. Signe Mesinska is a bioethicist and sociologist by training. She is affiliated at the University of Latvia, Faculty of Medicine as an associate professor and holds a PhD in sociology and a master's in bioethics. She has been teaching medical ethics, bioethics, and research ethics for more than 20 years. She serves as a member of the UNESCO International Bioethics Committee, as well as an ethics expert for the WHO, BBMRI ERIC, the European Commission, and several national bodies in Latvia. Uh, Dr. Mike Lenzing was trained in philosophy and technology ethics, specializing in the ethical aspects of biomedical innovations. He has worked as an academic researcher at the Medical Humanities Department at the University Medical Center in Utrecht in the Netherlands, where he studied the ethical aspects of organoid research. He currently works as an advisor to governmental organizations to facilitate the ethically responsible use of technology, big data, and AI. Welcome to the webinar, everyone, and thank you for giving um, your time and expertise on this important topic. For our audience today, please use the chat box um, to write your questions, and I will read them uh, later on your behalf. Well, first of all, I want to hand over now to Maria to um, give us an introduction to the scientific perspective, so to the question, what are organoids? Okay. Okay, good afternoon. And sorry. Can you hear me? Okay. Good afternoon. I'm glad to be part of this of this webinar. Well, uh, before starting the discussion, 
we need to know uh, very basic concepts. We need to define what is an organoid and more especially why we are using them. If you want to understand human development, how a human develops and also human diseases, you need to have one obvious thing. You need to have human samples. You need to have human models. But uh, primary samples, such as pieces of tissues or blood, they are very limited in quantity. And especially, they did not reproduce what's happening in a whole body. So we need to develop models. The organoids or the mini organs are a special and advanced type of cell culture that follows this 3D uh, structure. It is also important to notice that it is a mixed population of cells. For example, if you are trying to produce a mini kidney, you need to put renal cells there, but also vascular system, the immune system, extracellular matrix, and so on. So trying to create something as possible, as, uh, as, uh, as closer as possible to what happens in, in the natural situation. So next, next slide, please. Organoids uh, are not uh, the unique alternative that we have in the lab. We have been using models for a long time in your experiments, but uh, organoids have a very good properties for research. For instance, if you compare what with uh, immune models, uh, trying to develop them in the lab is cheaper. You can also manipulate them genetically, and in a mouse it's more difficult. And especially they are humans. They are several properties that uh, nowadays made organoids as the best tool for biomedical research, one of the best at least. Next slide. Uh, how can we generate organoids? Organoids, organoids are created for a, from a specific population of stem cells, okay? But we have too many different stem cells in our body. The best are these ones, the pluripotency cells. These are, made, are found in very, very early stages of development. It is around day five or six after embryo development. We have a small population of cells that we can culture in vitro, and this is the embryonic stem cells. So there are several embryonic cell lines that can be used for generating uh, the, the organoids. These are pluripotency. That means pluripotent. That means that they can generate all of, all of the tissues of our organ body. But uh, we have more cells. Uh, we have also this adult population of stem cells that they have a limited potency, such as cells, progenitor cells from the blood or from the bone marrow. So uh, our best candidates are these pluripotent stem cells, embryonic stem cells, but there is a big ethical question. You are destroying an embryo. So next slide. So, uh, in 2007, it was established the first human-induced pluripotent stem cell. This was possible uh, due to the work of these Japanese men, Yamanaka and team, that they were able to induce uh, pluripotent stem cells from somatic tissues. This is something artificial made in the lab, but at the end you have the same result. You have pluripotent stem cells, you have the full potential to differentiate in many tissues, but you are not destroying uh, uh, an embryo, a human. So next slide, please. We have, we have uh, more cellular sources for organoids, as I mentioned, the embryos, but also the adult stem cells. But one of, um, uh, one of the tissues that are, that are used to, 
to uh, be useful in, in the organ of generation is these cancer stem cells because cancer stem cells are a specific uh, cells that are inside the tumors and they also have this high proliferation rate. So uh, using these different resources, next slide, we have created several organoids. Yes, here you have just a representation of some of the organoids that we already are able to produce in, in a lab. We have brain organoids, lung organoids, organoids from the blood, mammaria, liver, kidney, and so on. We have here also the, the origin, adult stem cells, IPS, etc. So this is the catalog that we already have in the, in, the, in the lab. So next slide, please. If you are wondering how, yes, if you are wondering how a, an organoid looks, this is a brain organoid on a, on a plate, okay? Um, of course, something is missing here because uh, brains are not working alone. They are not working in an independent manner. You need to put this into a body. You need to communicate this brain with the rest of the of the of the of the organs. So one way of doing this is, as we mentioned before, or Melanie mentioned before, through the use of chimeras to try to put these organisms into animal models, for instance. But um, a second way of doing this, next slide, is trying to use these devices. These organ on chip are like the next generation type of organoids. Uh, in this way, you can put several organoids and communicate in. Have, have you seen these vessels that are into the uh, communicating the, the, the organoids? So these scanners can carry nutrients, drugs, cellular signal, signals, etc. So it's a way of doing more uh, heterogeneous or more reproducible to what happens in a, in a body. We still have some methodological limitations, but uh, this is the way. This is how organoids are going to be developed. So next slide. So regarding the applications, the present is mainly here. The present is mainly for basic research, but the future, the future applications are more close, of course, to therapy because uh, they can be used for bioartificial uh, organs, for instance, and also for, for therapy as models of diseases, because it is uh, uh, easy to, to check how the drugs can work on these tissues, for instance. Of course, generating these models is not uh, something easy in the lab. It's not so simple as we can just summarize in a few slides. So uh, what it is interesting from the scientific point of view is to make these models available for researchers, for all the scientific community. So biobanking of organoids aimed to create this catalog for research is really a very, very useful tool for, for science. So this is what it is in, very, in a very fast way. So I think that now we have the main concepts to, to start the discussion on the ethical and legal issues. Thank you very much, uh, Maria. And I want to ask now CISIS to give us an overview about the regulatory issues for organoids research. Yes, and uh, thank you very much for the for the invitation. So if we look at the organoid field as a, as a scientific field, we can say the development has been a very rapid one. And in particular, in the last few years, as new technologies are becoming available, that development is accelerating. What we can see, if you, for example, take 
the 3,000 uh, papers that have been published on the subject, and you try to map them out, you can see that a few countries have emerged as front runners. Now, this is not particularly uh, surprising because they represent front runners in a lot of scientific pursuits. But uh, what we can say is that it's a, it's really um, a child of technological development because it correlates very, very highly with a very advanced technological uh, geography. Next one. So if we take the last 10 years and we focus on the published manuscripts, we can see there is an increasing shift and absolutely uh, coming to the same words that Maria has used. We are going from a very technical publication, a very basic science pursuit of how do I do this to more translational publications. What do I do with this? So it's a slightly different question that we're trying to answer increasingly. The technical limitations are still there. So we don't necessarily, uh, we have all the component parts to bridge the gap from the basic science to the translational. But the direction of travel is very definitive, at least if you look uh, at the publications as part of any systematic review. So from a regulatory perspective, it is at this point where the technological process becomes highly relevant because it shows that the field is maturing and it's starting to have potential application into everyday life. Next one, please. So what are the regulatory approaches that we've seen? And we, we haven't seen um, a common approach. It's a very fragmented regulatory approach. In most countries, it has been created ad hoc in response to something that has already happened, some technological development, and different models have emerged. So we have models that are um, very prohibitive for, for research in, for example, Italy. And it's not prohibitive forever, but it's prohibitive for now. Uh, in the Netherlands, research can be conducted, for example, in vitro on, on in vitro created embryos, but it follows a strict licensing process. And in other countries, uh, such as Portugal, Greece, but many others as well, these are just examples, research is allowed in surplus embryos up to the 14th day of in vitro development. That's just how the law has been for some time and remains to the, this day. So the side effect of this is regulatory uncertainty because parts of the regular um, framework concerning the rights and duties of persons are now starting to merge with elements of regulations that deal with the stewardship of objects or things. So we start coming into this intersect. And this forms a little bit of an uncertainty from a regulatory perspective. And that's why we see different interpretations in different parts of the world. Next one, please. The other aspect uh, from a regulatory perspective is the lack of specificity. 
Generally, when we talk about regulatory frameworks, the more specific the cell types, the less likely it is that the regulation will be very specifically uh, addressing it. When we talk about regulation, we tend to try to group things together into big blocks to make uh, life easier for this case to take place. So we observe two separate areas of um, coexistence on the global stage. We have some European countries that uh, researchers are complaining for over-regulation. That means that the, the regulatory framework is too specific for that particular line of work. And we have other countries or geographical areas that are very defined regulatory gaps. For example, in Southeast Asia, where regulation for work on, on different cells and cells byproducts is not necessarily well defined. So continuing this discussion, such as today, is absolutely critical. At some point, I hope that we will get to some regulatory harmonization or, or at least be on the equal footing in terms of understanding, even if we regulate things differently, what they mean and what the potential is, so that we can um, avoid this fragmentation, which at the end will probably be counterproductive for research as a whole. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, and I now want to hand over to Signe to address the ethical issues. Thank you, thank you very much. And um, I I will take my research ethics committee hat. Uh, I I think uh, in 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 this case, and um, uh, I I will try to look at. Um, informed consent part and at protection of donors' rights. And here we come to several challenges uh, if we think about organoid research. Uh, first, uh, there is this question how broad or narrow should the consent be for organoid research, because as we saw from the introduction, the organoid research is quite a different type of research from, from so-called classical biobank research. And uh, the question is what information should be given to the donor? And it's also quite clear that it's hard to predict all potential uses in organoid research. So if we think about traditional specific informed consent for one uh, research study, it doesn't work well here because we cannot give the all necessary information and the uh, potentially we should ask for recontact. Then we, we might think about broad or, or general or, or uh, open consent forms. But in that case, uh, we have questions and challenges about, um, about informing uh, donor properly and about trust of, uh, of public and trust of donors in, in biobanks and the research ethics committees approving this type of research. So as far um, by, by today uh, in the discussions about consent, informed consent to, to organoid research, 
uh, it seems that the uh, most acceptable answer is dynamic consent, allowing, allowing to uh, to be in contact with donor or at least uh, giving this option to donor to follow uh, in electronic system what is going on with his or her uh, her cells and, and how they are used in different projects. So dynamic consent might be one uh, quite acceptable answer. Another uh, potential answer which has been mentioned in discussions is a governance model, uh, which means that uh, the, the governance of uh, organoid research might be given to some kind of public body or, or uh, I don't know, like representatives of, of patient organizations or, or some specific body, which would uh, oversee the use of organoids. And uh, that's how... Uh, the rights of donors might be protected. So you see that uh, the question about the the most uh, most um, appropriate type of of uh, consent is still open, uh, as well as uh, types of information which should be given to the uh, organo to the donors. It's also um, open how to uh, how to collect donors' preferences, how to know donors' preferences, what uh, kind of uh, uh, document use to to ask about donors' preferences, and there are several uh, projects running right now uh, in in Europe uh, which uh, are developing suggestions how to do it. Uh, then uh, what is acceptable duration of the consent? Uh, should it be unlimited or, or with certain limitations? Uh, very, very important question is about right to withdraw consent. Because when we think about withdrawing consent, then um, researchers, uh, of course, say that uh, it's possible uh, for sure uh, until the moment when the cells enter processing. But uh, when uh, the scientific work starts and uh, and uh, a lot of resources and efforts are uh, are already spent for development of organoids, or even more if the if organoids are already distributed uh, to to users, it might be not possible to withdraw consent anymore, and it should be explained in the informed consent form. And a very specific question is about minors as donors, uh, because if we think about um, children, then uh, we have additional questions about uh, their assent and uh, reconsent in the future. Next slide, please. So, um, we can look at uh, at um, rights of the donors also from the angle of privacy. And uh, there are many questions about decisional privacy, about informational privacy, because uh, the distribution of, of uh, cells in case of organoids, it's much broader than uh, in cases when you have only one sample. So uh, it's, it's, there are, very specific questions about uh, also bodily privacy in this case, uh, also intellectual privacy, uh, especially 
uh, intellectual privacy is questioned in case of brain organoids. However, of course, scientists are uh, quite skeptical about possibility that that uh, brain organoids might develop consciousness. But but still, at least in philosophical discussions, this question is uh, raised also. Next slide, please. So and and the last. Uh, point from my uh, my point of view is about uh, research ethics committees because as in uh, as with any new type of uh, research um, it raises also questions about uh, competence of ethics committees so therefore there is a question are ethics committees ready and I mean both sides are ethics committees ready to protect interests of donors, but also are ethics committees ready to, to understand the needs of researchers. So there are several sides involved. Uh, what expertise is needed uh, for research ethics committees? Uh, are they ready to review uh, this uh, very specific type of research? and what support is needed for research ethics committees. Uh, do they need guidelines? Do they, do they need better regulation as mentioned by this is, uh, do they need any other type of, uh, of support? That's it. I, I think here I can hand over to the next speaker. Thank you very much for uh raising all these uh, complex questions. And I want to hand over now to Mike to give us some uh, insights into more ethics and also on the stakeholder perspectives. Yeah, more ethics. Um, yes, uh, exactly that. I, th I think uh, when um, Signe said she was, uh, she was going uh, to explain something about ethics and putting on the research ethics uh, hat, um, I thought maybe I will then uh, represent the social uh, aspect of the of the LC abbreviation. Um, I uh, I'm very glad to be um, uh, talking to you today here because it's been two years since I wrote my uh, since I wrote my PhD thesis, um, and I uh, it's still a fascinating subject. So um, thanks first of all, and. Um, uh, I would like to add to all of the very important things that uh, Signa already mentioned. Um, and I thought maybe it's interesting also, uh, uh, just for anyone wondering, uh, I noticed that very much in my work as a researcher, people asking me like, yeah, ethics is, is, is that it's so vague and fluffy and how do you actually do that in a scientific way? Um, I thought maybe to explain something about what I did. So, um, you get a, a sort of idea of how that can can be done. Um, uh, so the image that you see is is my dissertation, and and uh, it it has to be said that I did it uh, from uh, uh, the uh, medical humanist department in Utrecht, which has a really uh, nice, I think, but also a, uh, typical approach to doing ethics, uh, which involves a lot of uh, going out into the social world and researching how people experience. Uh, a certain technological uh, uh, innovation or or uh, development like organoids um and they they call this ethics parallel research um which is also what i what i did um so the idea is that you 
uh, while a technological development is is unfolding or is being innovated, uh, you uh, already start researching, uh, you know, your ethical and social implications of what you're making so that you can actually add uh, your findings into the innovation process. And that leads to hopefully a better, uh, more ethical, more socially robust result. Um, what I did was I analyzed, first of all, I needed to wrap my head around the technology. So I did a lot of desk research about um, all of the things that, all the, like technical aspects, but also the things that Signe mentioned, you know, how the uh, how complex the debate is around consent and uh, and privacy. But then also I, I interviewed lots and lots of uh, um, people who had already provided their tissues to make organoids with, patients. Um, but also professionals, clinicians, uh, biobank managers, policymakers, all of them. I wanted to hear everything that was there, all of people's experiences with it. And then it, just the easy task of combining everything into a coherent view on how maybe responsibly to move forward. Um, that's what I did. If you want to read more about the method, there is an article there that you can uh, consult. Next slide, please. Um and yeah, I diving into the world of uh, of people's experiences was such an eye opener to me. Um, uh, just to, just to give you an idea of the diverse things that people say, really blew me. It blew me away also because I had a, an expectation of what people would say, uh, and sometimes that people just said something completely different, um, which made me think like, oh, maybe there is a way that we scientists speak about uh, things, but people experience it very differently. Um, so one example is uh, uh, one of the patients who had already uh, um, signed up for the organo program. This is a cystic fibrosis patient for um, uh, those interested, said, uh, as long as I live, um, I would like to receive yearly or two yearly reports about which studies have been done with my cells, because I still feel partly connected to the cells that are there. And I just want to know what happens with them, because I still feel sort of owner, because it is my bodily material. It kind of blew me away how people see these cells as part of their body still. And then if it is a body part, then what does that mean? Um, and then a researcher said about working with these patient cells, with these living tissues, they say, yeah, we do research in the lab, but we also are sort of in a clinical care kind of space. And we need to think about how what we do impacts patients. How do we manage the hope and expectations that they have about receiving treatments? But also, what do you do when you find something that is relevant maybe to their health? Do you then go back? But the cells are anonymized. What is my duty here? Uh, what is my responsibilities? Um, next slide, please. So um, I actually, um, interestingly, uh, found a, a few things. I mean, it's too short here to, to go over everything, but a, a few things that I thought were um were interesting and what i saw with people um uh, talking about this this whole field was that there was a really strong connection between people and their cells and it seemed to me like the whole paradigm in which we speak about um uh you know banking and donor and consent there is i don't know for me it didn't really fit well it seemed to me more like data where people you know, have a certain idea of like, I want to know where my data goes, I want to be able to control it, it's part of me, I have a right of say about it. So then I started, I started moving away from the whole idea of consent and, and, and privacy as the main sort of, yeah, almost like molds to, to, to put the ethical debate in, but also to look broader than that, and maybe 
problematize also the fact that that is uh, how is uh, that that is what is most focused on. So, what do you do with with this question of what does it mean that your stem cells are there, your body part? You have the fundamental right to bodily integrity. Does that mean that you can no longer say what people use your living tissue for as soon as you give it away? Um, and how should that control look? And you, c- consent is a way to to shape that form of control, but maybe there are other ways um, that are more appropriate. And also, what is the moral status of a brain organoid? Or you know, at what point does it have start to have certain rights? Like most, like lots of cultures think about uh, embryos as well. Uh, if it's before 14 days, it's fine. And then after 14 days, suddenly we have all these moral rights that appear out of nowhere. And how does that for organoids? And what does that mean? Um, and how does that relate also to the sensitive uh, use cases that you can use organoids for? Um, you can give your organoids uh, up for research, uh, donate them. Um, but uh, does that mean that you that the, you then have to accept uh, you know certain use cases that you're not happy with from a personal principle perspective maybe but also how do you envision this is also what Cygnus said how do you envision this communication between the users of the tissue and the uh, providers of the tissue how can you how can you make these preferences known right maybe through consent but maybe something completely different needs to happen um and that's also why I, this I brought up the second point um maybe we need to go beyond consent and think about just ways of cooperation that make more sense in this in this uh in, in this as uh, um uh, theme right but um because maybe you, it's it's such a personal thing that maybe we need to all actually involve people in in a certain way in the governance or in how research is set up on how profits are are uh, uh, divided as well um because people like for example in cystic fibrosis they give their material for research and then it turns out that they first of all they don't get their treatment reimbursed but second of all the pharmaceutical company is making loads and loads of money because of the tissue that they provided you know with the hope of getting some uh, treatment and how to navigate this as well um and a, a, a third thing maybe that i would like to give to you also as a uh, maybe as a as a thing to spark uh, your ethical um sixth sense maybe is um i at the end of my phd i started to really think about the word donor and whether that is actually an appropriate way to describe people that provide their cells for research because if you think about the the organ donor context we we created that word so that you can no longer say anything about that liver that you gave away or, or kidney that you gave away because otherwise <laughs> you can't say that you want it back so you donate it and so there's no reciprocity but with organoids it's a vastly different thing i think we as providers of the tissue are uh, you know we can expect something in return you know being informed being treated uh, with respect being uh, involved and which means that it's, as soon as you call it donate people think that there should be nothing in return because that is what's in the word and i i wonder if that is still the most appropriate word to use um so that is not to criticize anything that Cygnus said, but more to add on top of what she already described is also really fundamentally important. Um, yeah, that's it. Thank you very much to 
add more complexity <laughs> to an already very complex uh, question to our audience. Feel free to um, ask your questions and put them in the Q&A box and we will uh, then read it to the, uh, to the panel. Thank <laughs> you.